the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Wednesday, January 10th, week two of the 2024 season underway. The question I want to ask on today's podcast is why did some of these players choose to play an event this week? I'm aware it's the start of a new season. Everyone is looking to find their rhythm to some degree, but we're also less than a week away from the start of the year's first major. If you elected to play a tournament this week, that tells me you're searching something. Maybe it is something as simple as rhythm in your game, but maybe there's another reason. Maybe you haven't had the best results of late. Maybe there's a significant chunk of points coming off of your resume in the near future. That central question, why did this player choose to play this week? That's going to be the one I ask in examining the results we've seen over the past few days and offering all of you listeners, of course, an update on where things stand in our four tour-level events. We have this week action for both the men and women in Adelaide. You've got another women's event in Hobart, the men competing in Auckland. I want to give you all updates where things stand in the draws. What were the biggest results you all need to know about over the last 24 hours? Of course, I also want to take a look at Australian Open qualifying, which is now I believe, completed its first round plus of play. You've got a couple of challengers on the calendar this week as well. Again, this episode going to serve as a primer for the on-court action we have this week. I do want to mention it's going to be a two-mini-break podcast Wednesday today as David Kane is going to be joining me later in the afternoon to discuss our top 10 power rankings on the men's side, excuse me, on the women's side entering the 2024 Australian Open. Going to have a top 10 men's equivalent episode for all of you listeners tomorrow. We're going to be doubling up on mini breaks over the next couple of days here. Why? Because we're less than a week out. Did you hear that? Less than a week out from the start of the year's first major. It's our job to make sure all of you tennis fans are prepared for the Australian Open. We're going to do so by offering you a plethora of content across our various podcast platforms. Of course, over on the Great Shot podcast feed, we are in our final week of counting down our top 10 teams heading into the new college tennis season. If you missed any of the episodes, you can catch up on all of them by subscribing to that Great Shot podcast feed. This week, we're unveiling our preseason number one teams, which feels like the perfect time, perhaps, for all of you listeners to dip your toes into the college tennis water. So if you haven't already, go subscribe, go like, go review that Great Shot podcast. Obviously, if you haven't, please do the same here to the Mini Break podcast feed, Cracked Interviews podcast feed, and our Cracked Rackets YouTube channel, of course. For the immediate updates, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube. We are at Cracked Rackets. A thank you to Daniel Westa for all he does in making our content possible. A thank you as well to our friends at Tennis Point for their support of this show. Because they support us, we'll be able to provide you daily updates throughout the course of the Australian Open. I believe all those shows are going to be available as videos on YouTube as well. So again, we're ready to rock and roll here in this 2024 season. Lots of fun content on the horizon. And thank you to the support we get from our friends at Tennis Point, which allows us to do so. Tennis-point.com. The promo code is CR15 for all of the latest and greatest products at the best prices in the tennis world. All right. All that said, let's get into this week's tour-level action. Let's start for the women in Adelaide. I do think it's a prove-it sort of week for Jessica Pagula. I understand why she elected to play this event. Was a disappointing United Cup in the sense that she only got to play two matches, and in each of those matches, there were 
15 to 20 minute stretches where you saw her far from her best. Obviously, she beat Isla Tamjanovic in straight sets, but a 6-3 and three result against a Tamjanovic who really didn't have a weapon to hurt her. You feel like that's a match Pagula typically blitzes through. Obviously, the three-set loss against Katie Bolter. Now, Bolter was striking the ball so brilliantly inside the baseline, playing so aggressively, but did you expect Katie Bolter to outpower tennis, outline drive, out-aggress or aggression Jessica Pagula? No, I don't think that's something you would ever think to say about Pagula. So I understand why she chose to play this weekend. Look, she got tested. And I think the result, a 4-6-6-2-6-3 victory for Jessica Pagula over Bernardo Pera, that actually tells me more about Pera's level, who I think has played really well in wins over Badosa and the loss to Pagula. Lefty American, when she is moving well, when she is confident, I mean, she just hits with real pace, real action on the ball, can get you stretched so deep and far into that outer third corner on either wing. She had Pagula on her back foot, and I think that's been the most concerning thing through three matches for Jessica Pagula. Let's be clear. It's only three matches, and by the way, she's 2-1 and one in them and probably should have beat 3-0 and, and probably should have won that Katie Bolter match. She's been pushed on her back foot way more frequently in this first two weeks of the year than I think I've seen her throughout the course of the last two and a half years. And I just wonder if maybe that's going to be the playbook out on Pagula. You have to take some swings. You have to be aggressive because if you're playing in the center third of the court, she's just going to kill you uh, without pace. And I will say Bernard Pair played through the center of the court, but with such great pace and depth. And it did force Pagula to pop things up. And once she did, Para was very decisive in capitalizing on any line of attack. Again, my concern for Jessica Pagula isn't that she's not a top eight player any longer. See, I almost said top 10. No, top eight. That's the new metric I'm going to use here. It's not that she's still not going to compete for a tour finals this year. I absolutely think she can sustain her level. But I don't know if there's another gear for her to hit. And again, week one overreactions with Jeff Sackman. You heard me talk about this. I just think Sviantek, Sabalenka, Rabakina, Goff, they are on another level right now. And to see Pagula pushed back the way she has been in her first three matches, I think all of her opponents have played pretty solid tennis. But I don't, uh, you know, again, I haven't seen a new gear to her yet. It's only three matches. I just, again, does she have another gear to get to the way I still think those other four do? And obviously, Sviantek Goff so young, but even Sabalenka, you know, 25 years old right now, turns 26 coming up here in the near future. Rabakina still under 25 as well. Like, I do think they all have another gear to get to that I just don't know if Jessica Pagula does. And again, she finishes the year top eight, a third straight tour finals appearance. Like that is a remarkable, remarkable run for a player who, up until her mid twenties, was n- not even a top fifty player, let alone the top five player she has become. But again, I'm not hitting the panic button. I just I understand why she played this week, trying to gain some confidence, trying to regain her front footing. Look, she's gonna face. Another big hitter, a big ball striker in Anastasia Pavlichenkova. Pavlichenkova from a set down, 2-6-6-3-6-2. Just kind of overwhelms Sinyakova. Uh, when Pav strikes a ball properly and makes good contact with her feet set and is trying to be aggressive, God, can she just hit you off the court again? Not a Serena Williams Power Tennis Country Club member, but we let her hang out on the weekends. We always like her presence at the club because, again, she can hit big, no doubt about it, from both wings. But, again, 
This is a match Pagula should get her stretched to the outer thirds. Pagula should be able to absorb that first blow, redirect the pace as she has done so well over the, the past few years. And, you know, once you get five-plus shot rallies, this is where Pagula should dominate Pavlochenkova. I also think the depth on her return of serve should prevent Pavlochenkova from perhaps some of the easy plus-one ball striking she had when Sinyakova. Sinyakova just sprayed a little bit down the stretch of that one. I still like her level to start the season, but a good win from Pavs. It's still a very, again, it's a winnable match, or it's a match she should win. Jessica Pagula should win this match if she doesn't. Maybe you do hit the panic button. Not the panic button, but you feel justified putting her a tier below those top four players, despite what the results have said the last two years entering the Australian Open. Anyways, Jessica Pagula... The 81.9% favorite, 1-0 in the career head-to-head against Pavlochenkova, according to Tennis Abstract. I expect her to get through it, but it will be interesting to see if the weapons of Pavlochenkova continue to force Pagula on her back foot, force her to be reactive instead of proactive as she's been over the past couple of years. That's your bottom half quarterfinal. Above that, again, you'd, you'd expect the winner of Pavs or Pagula to be the favorite, honestly, in the semis. Credit to Laura Siegemund after the round one upset for her over Samsonova. Follows it up with a straight set win over Anna Bogdan. She continues her quest to re-enter the top 50, back into the top 75 with her win. She'll take on Daria Kasakina. Good win for Kasakina, 7-5 in the third over a very much in-form Anna Kalinskaya. Kasakina's just a tough out, man. She finds herself in another 500-level quarterfinal to start the season. That's what she does, grinds her ways to quarterfinals in every portion of the calendar. That's why she's playing this week. Siegemann, obviously, in pursuit of the top 50. Pavlachenkova back inside the top 50, by the way, in making this quarterfinal run. Kasakina 4-1 in the career head-to-head with Sigamon 63.5% favorite. I would expect her to win that match because Sigamon can be aggressive, but I just think the physicality, the ability for Kasakina to get Sigamon stretched into the outer third, her ability to absorb that first blow and respond with some chutzpah. Uh, again, I expect it to be a Kasakina-Pagula semifinal. And by the way, from there, you'd expect Pagula to get to the final. You'd expect her to get a shot against either Rabakina, maybe an Ostapenko, get that, again, pushed by elite power tennis once more. So really, I, things are breaking really well for Jessica Pagula, who's as fit as anyone we have in the women's game. And again, I have no concerns about her fitness entering the Australian Open, regardless of her playing this week. I have concerns about her level right now, and she will have the opportunity to test herself with how that top half of the draw has opened up, because talk about some highlight reel matchups. Kostyuk versus Ostapenko, you're getting all sorts of personality, all sorts of power tennis, all sorts of creativity. I mean, Kostyuk so fluid in the outer thirds, and she needed every bit of her athleticism in earning a 6-3-2-6-6-4 win over Taylor Townsend, who, by the way, is fit as a fiddle coming into the year. I mean, she just continues to... Whatever Taylor Townsend gym program she's on, again, can I sign up for it? Because girl got jacked. Like, and obviously, she's always had the weapons, but man, to see her extend rallies the way she was against Kostyuk to see her some of the the way she just some of the pace behind her forehand now her forehand has always had whip it's always had heavy topspin but the way she can drive through it now Taylor Townsend's here to play like that's a top 50 player folks lefty the heavy spin her serve and volley tactics I think on clay court she is just going to be a miserable miserable opponent to face because of all the different ways and angles and pace now and pop on the ball she can hurt you with and yet Kostyuk's an elite athlete folks you, you, I, you guys know my thoughts on the young uh, Ukrainians game and 
can just do a lot of things. I don't know what she's best at, which is, again, a concern because you need some some things in the playbook you can always turn to when under pressure. Kostyuk has to always turn to a bunch of different things. Townsend rips three forehand winners, essentially, consecutively to fight off the first three uh, match points. But then Kostyuk hits an ace wide on match point number four to seal things. And again, she can just do a little bit of everything. Really nice win for Kostyuk to start the season and gets her back up to number 37 in the live rankings. Gets her a shot at Yelena Ostapenko, who just outpowers tennis, is Caroline Garcia, 6'4", 5'7", 6'4". Both have played really good ball. I know Garcia three sets in her first match in Adelaide, but I think her level's been top 20 stuff. Like she's just her plus one game, the relentless aggression, it's working right now. Ostapenko, though, is cooking with fire. She has been pushed in just about every match she's played. And I know she lost last week to Vika, but now three set wins over Garcia, over Kirstea in round number one. Another real test in Kostyuk here in the quarterfinals. I have really liked what I've seen from Elena Ostapenko so far this week, uh, year. And by the way, with her win, she's back into the top 10 for the first time in like four years, up to number 10 in the live rankings. She should be. She's playing that well right now. That's a really fun match. She'll be the favorite, 1-0 against Kostyuk, 63.3% favorite against uh, according to Tennis Abstract. I mean, her power tennis and her ability to, she'll be able to clock some Kostyuk second serves. That's certainly float, but... Again, how much gas does Kostyuk have left in the tank after what was a really physical three-set match with Townsend? That's an open question. That's just that's a Kostyuk can do things. She has the athleticism to absorb your first blow to get Ostapenko stretched. If Kostyuk wins that match, then it's time. You know, she might be one of my make-or-break seasons. What is her ceiling? I think she she has a really high floor. She can clearly do a lot of things. How high is that ceiling? Once upon a time, I thought it was top five. I haven't sold any Kostyuk stock, but I need to see that top five tennis out of her once again. And again, she's going to get that opportunity to do so against Ostapenko. Shout out to Ecat, Alexandrova, 4-4 four and four over Veronica Kudermatova. Both players, you know how good they can be when they're aggressive, when they're confident. Ecat just a little bit better on this day. Now she gets the real test. She's taking on Elena Rabakina. Rabakina 1-2 in her career for what it's worth against Alexandrova. Who knows why Rabakina is playing this week, but hey. If you got fire in the kitchen and it's working for you, that's not the right analogy, but I, who am I to mess with someone who is now won, what, five, six consecutive matches to start the season? Rabaka on a three and five win over Buxa to set up the matchup with Alexandrova. Her and Pagula, the heavy favorites, according to Tennis Abstract. Rabaka on a 38.3%, Pagula 35.7%. After that, you'd have to drop all the way to Ostapenko at 8.7%, Kasakina 8.4%. And I'll tell you what, Again, if Rabakina faces Sabalenka and Pagula within the first two weeks of the season, and maybe even you throw in an Ostapenko semifinal matchup, sign me up for that. She's getting tested against the best, and again, if she continues to win, I don't know. Does she become your favorite at the 2023 Australian Open? If she wins again this week, at that point, do you say maybe it is too many matches? I don't know. I don't think so. It's pretty straightforward power tennis for Rabakina. It's been pretty clean kills in all of her matches. Anyways, that's a really fun set of quarterfinals on the women's side in Adelaide. Obviously, I would say the tournament above all else to keep an eye on as you prepare for the start of the Australian Open. But you should also keep your eye on the men's action there as certainly we had some fun battles yesterday to set up some fascinating quarterfinal bouts. You start with a battle of unseeded players, two players I'm fascinated by this year. I gave you the big Jack Draper diatribe yesterday, but... 
look, the 21-year-old Brit, 22 years old now. I did that same thing yesterday. The 22-year-old Brit, he's a top 25 player. Like I, I just, you just know it when you see it. And yesterday, five seven seven six seven six over Miamir Kasmenovic, even on a day where he was struggling to put first serves in the court, made just 55.5 percent of them throughout the course of the match. He can just do so many different things. And again, he matched the physicality of Kesmenovich, no doubt about that, and then was able to find just a few more plus one balls, just able to find things a little bit easier in that third set breaker. Again, Kesmenovich had some serious opportunities on his racket in that match. There's no doubt about it. That was one the Kesman will want back, and actually, I was really impressed by his level. The fact that, again, he is so difficult to hit through. The fact that he is, if you, if you float him something on the forehand, He'll be decisive. He'll swing through that ball. He'll take a big rip, take a big cut, and has some plus power in doing so off of that wing. I think he hits his backhand line well. I wouldn't describe it as plus power, but I think the depth that he hits with it and when he chooses to hit that ball line, I think he's more than solid at it. I've really liked I really liked Kesmanovich's performance yesterday. Again, gave Draper nothing for free, but that speaks to again the 22-year-old Brit went and took that match down the home stretch again. 5-7-7-6-7-6, Draper wins 11-9 and 9-7 breakers in sets 2 and 3 with his back against the wall. Special stuff for the 22-year-old into another quarterfinal. You just look at what his results have been since the start of October. You know, qualifies in Tokyo before a three-set loss, 7-6 in the third to Alex Demonauer. Goes and wins a challenger in Bergamo where he beats a Brandon Nakashima, where he beats a David Goffin. Then goes and makes a final in Sofia, beating a Musetti, beating a Struff on indoor hard courts before a loss three sets in the final to Adrian Manorino. Obviously, he lost a heartbreaker in Davis Cup, 6-6 six and six, to Miamir Kasmenovich, but now he comes back, 5-7, seven, seven, six, seven, six, gets a nice little rebound victory, gets an early quarterfinal to start his season, and with this result, Jack Draper hovering around number 50 in the world, currently 67, but again, doesn't have a ton of points to defend given the injuries he sustained early last season, so... He's positioned himself very well to get back in the top 50 come the start of the clay court season. Certainly from there, once you get to the grass courts, you feel like with his weapons, he could make another little push over that month. I expect him to be top 30 by the time we hit Cincinnati, by the time we hit Canada. Certainly, if he is not seated at the U.S. Open, I think something went wrong in his 2024 year. It's how high his level was. And again, I thought Kesmenovich played well yesterday. I'm fat. Do I need to do the Kesmenovich rant again? I do think this is a, an interesting year for the 24-year-old to kind of define his ceiling as he moves into his prime. But ran into one of those young buzzsaws, one of many we have right now on tour. And look, Draper's going to get tested right away as he's going to take on an informed Tommy Paul. Tommy cruising 3-2 and two over the qualifier lefty Alex Bolt of Australia yesterday. Draper 1-0 in the career head-to-head. Obviously, Tommy could be a little fresher physically. Tommy of only a 51.9% favorite, according to Tennis Abstract. Winner of that match is going to be the new favorite to win the event, even though Seppi Korda is still alive. And by the way, you got a bunch of seeds still alive. In this event, you look at the next quarterfinals. It's going to be seed versus seed. Lorenzo Musetti taking on Sasha Bublik. Uh, we saw Bublik three sets over Dan Evans, 6-1 in the third. Musetti kind of grinded down a physically wary Jordan Thompson. Obviously, we saw Thompson with the big week last week in Brisbane. Uh, kind of ran out of gas down the stretch, but 
Lorenzo Musetti will do that to you. Good win for him. Good quarterfinal on a hard quarter surface. He's always runs hot and cold on. Uh, now he's going to get a big test, obviously. The weaponry, the inconsistency, and the volatility in both the best and worst ways of Sasha Bublik in the quarterfinals. For what it's worth, Bublik 1-0 in the career had to had 54.6% favorite, according to Tennis Abstract. Bottom half of the draw features your one surprise quarterfinalist. Shout out wildcard Chris O'Connell gave Alex Shevchenko the business. Now, I wonder how much did Shevchenko have left in the tank after a very physical three-set match against Tomas Martin Etchvery. Still, the wildcard O'Connell 3-1. and one. Give Shevchenko the business. He'll have a battle now with Sebi Korda, who squeaks through in straight sets, four and six, but 12-10 in that second set breaker over Lorenzo Sonego. Korda moving a little bit better, held the baseline really well against Sonego, can still be a little stiff in and out of those corners, can still get a little slap happy in trying to hold that baseline, and that's when the errors, particularly on the forehand wing, start to come but he held his ground well because I think Snako is playing well. That's a good victory for Corda's first of the year. Has a very winnable match against O'Connell, who he's 1-1 one one against, but a 70.9% favorite against this time, according to Tennis Abstract. Again, Corda into a quarterfinal. Keeps him in the top 35, certainly, to start his year. And, you know, he's got quarterfinal points to defend at this Australian Open. So he'll take any win he can get. If you're looking for why did he play this week? Obviously, he lost first round last week. But uh, he's also got some real points to defend uh, coming up throughout the course of this month. Before then, he's got nothing to defend with all the injuries. But, obviously, Australian Open quarterfinal points ain't no joke. Good win for him. I'm not going to say must-win match, but almost a must-win match against O'Connell in the quarterfinals as well. And then bottom half of the draw, two three-set winners, Yuri Lachetchka, 6-3 in the third over Dusan Lajevic. He also has Australian Open quarterfinal points to defend, so this was a big win for Lachetchka, who's sitting at 32 right now in the live rankings. He'll take on the big servant Chilean Nicolas Yari, who's got a bunch of points to defend, including a title during that South American sunshine swing coming up in February. But hey... The 28-year-old Yari at a new career high, number 18. He's the current closest form we have to the big server, John Isner, archetype that's been in the top 20 for much of the past 15 years. He just out big serve, big forehand his way to a 6-7-7-6-6-4 win over Matteo Arnaldi. Arnaldi served for that match, up 5-4 in the third. Yari coming up with a great backhand sequence of passes. Yari's more than just big serve, big forehand. He's a little bit more fluid in the outer thirds than you think, but so was John Isner. Like, so was Kevin Anderson. And again, the way Yari dominates, it's not serve and volley, but it's big serve, big cut on the first forehand, and God, are those weapons explosive for him. Again, I've really... He's playing top 20 tennis. He's been that good at another quarterfinal for him over his last 52 weeks. I believe that's got to be, what, seven eight quarterfinals at the tour level for Nicolas Yari, a guy who I know suspended obviously earlier in his career after the PED uh, usage, for PED usage, but it's a guy five days younger than me. Like, of course, it's always going to resonate when you see someone like that have success. He's 41-19 and 19 at the tour level over his last 52 weeks. Again, he is now into his eighth quarterfinal, eighth quarterfinal of the last 52 weeks. He's done it on every surface it's a top 32 player, certainly, I would argue, again, given the success, his serve, his big forehand, translate across all three surfaces. I do think he's a top 25 player right now, and to build himself back in the fashion he did, it's a credit to his, again, te- a testament to his work ethic, his perseverance. It's big hitting 
quarterfinal, Lahetchka versus Yari Yari, the 60.9% favorite. 1-1 is the career head-to-head. This is a fun event. Again, top 25 guys still alive. Tommy Paul, Nicholas Yari, Lorenzo Musetti, Sebastian Quarter. You've got seeds in Lahetchka, Bublik still alive as well. Right now, Tommy, 21.7% favorite. Then Korda, 20.1%. Jack Draper at 19.1% after that. Then you've got Nicholas Yari at 15.7%. No clear-cut favorite. Again, four really good players, according to the numbers of late, uh, all still alive in this Adelaide quarterfinal. Between that, Rabakina, Pagula, Stepanko, Kostyuk, all those names alive on the women's side. Adelaide is certainly the site to follow if you are a tennis fan this week. But maybe you missed out on the Adelaide action and you're going to focus more on what's going on elsewhere in Hobart, in Auckland. So let's cover that for all of you listeners here today as well. Go to the WTA event in Hobart next where, look, I thought top seed Elisa Mertens was excellent yesterday in a straight set victory. And, you know, maybe that wasn't your headline, uh, but certainly watching Mertens move in and out of the at third, like how, how well she reacts to aggression, how strong she is as a counterpuncher, the fact that she can amp things up and hit 115, maybe sniff around 120 occasionally on the first serve as well, how comfortable she is volleying. She's a really well-rounded player. Again, she's been top 35 now for a solid half decade plus, and I know that's not elite of the elite, but that's a very good run. Obviously, this sort of run, dare I say, every pro strides for to be seated constantly at the events. I'm sure she has made well north of five, six million dollars in her career. Probably made well north of a million a year in each of the last few seasons. Anyways, Elisa Mertens, um, two and three over Shmidova. Didn't really get tested. I thought her level was very, very impressive these past two matches over Colin Schmidlover, respectively. So feel like another third round, at least, in the cards for her as she approaches the Australian Open, barring whatever that draw looks like, of course. You did see a bunch of upsets yesterday. In fact, after I believe every seed made it through to the round of 16, you had five different seeds eliminated uh, in the excuse me, five seeds eliminated in that round of 16. Highest of them all, Wang Xinyu, knocked out by Yuan Yua, the qualifier, a 5-3 win. She is now, I believe, up to a new career high of 68 in the live rankings. 25-year-old hits a springy ball. It is a heavy topspin forehand that comes off of her racket. And, you know, again, she will leave a ball short. She'll pop things up because of her backswing when pressured by pace, but springy first serve explodes through the return of serve. She put too much pressure on Wang Xinyu and just had her pushed on her back foot in the biggest moments. Again, it was her weapons winning out the 25-year-old from China through to a quarterfinal and up to a new career high in the live rankings. And she'll have a date now with qualifier Yulia Putenseva. Putenseva 6-4-1-6-6-3 over Marie Bozhkova, your number five seed. That match just, it looked exactly how you think it looked. Long, grinding rallies. Putenseva just doing just enough to get through the number five seed. You had Daria Seville knock out six seeded Sonia Kennan, seven, six, six, one. That first set was the match. Like the moment Seville won that first set breaker. Kennan just didn't have the juice in set number two. So six, six and one, the number six seed knocked out. Your eight seed, Vivara Gracheva, knocked out by the big hitting lefty, Arankasha Rus. Rus has played a really good ball. Again, a lot of it at the ITF level, but she's done a lot of winning of late, two and three over uh, Gracheva. In fact, you look right now, Arankasha Rus in the uh, WTA rankings. Of course, I spelled her name wrong because that's what I do, but you look for Arankasha Rus uh, right now in the WTA live rankings. She is currently sitting, what did I 
I, what, I'm, where did I spell it wrong? There it is, 45 in the live rankings, four off her career high up five spots here this week in making the quarterfinals in uh, Auckland, Hobart. Leave all that me yelling at the computer and me spelling wrong in West Up. It's fine. You get to enjoy that, listeners, today. Anyways, Mertens versus Roos. Mertens 2-0 in the career head-to-head. Darius Seville going to take on third-seeded Ju Lin, who gets a three-set win over Caroline Dalahide. That's actually a really good result for Dalahide. But again, Ju Lin was one of your breakout stars early last season. She made, what, round four, I believe, of the Australian Open last year. She's got some real points to defend, so has to play this week. And obviously now uh, into the quarterfinals with a winnable match. Matchup, although she's owned one in the career head-to-head against Seville. Uh, you'll watch that one in Hobart. Obviously, you've got Putenseva taking on Yuan Yua. Then you've got Victoria Tomova, 0-1 over ninth-seeded Tatiana Maria. She's going to take on Emma Navarro. Navarro, just another ho-hum of a tour-level quarterfinal. Again, 3-3 three and three over Magdalena Freak. You look for Emma Navarro. She's had a new career high. 30 in the live rankings. And Again, semifinal last week, quarterfinal this week to start her season. You can wipe out about six of the ITF big results she had last year, just with one month of success at the tour level with the points that will provide it more than anything, consolidating her top 50, top 40 position. Again, fun set of quarterfinal matchups for us to monitor throughout the course of the weekend in Hobart. And right now, Elisa Mertens, your favorite, 30.5%. Navarro, 21.6%. Potensiva, 15.7%. Julin. 14.9. So from what I've seen, I agree. Mertens is the favorite. If she sustains the level we've seen the first two rounds, she should win this event. But funky things have happened in Hobart thus far. I'm going to expect more funkiness as we approach the home stretch of that event. Uh, certainly in Auckland was a interesting day of tennis. You look for Ben Shelton, top seed, gets his first win of the year, three and four over Fabian Marazan. Another guy, why is he playing this week? got quarterfinal points to defend at the Australian Open. And yeah, his end to the season, Tokyo, the U.S. Open, he's not going to lose his top 25 spot. He, or he's not going to lose his top 50 spots, certainly. He may not even lose his top 25 spot, regardless of what happens in Australia. But right now, he's 16 in the world. It's a pretty nice spot to be in terms of setting your calendar moving forward for the 21-year-old. And by the way, he's 16 in the world with like two wins to defend between the end of the Australian Open and the start of the North American summer. Big opportunities for growth if Ben can just, again, if he goes, four, honestly, third round or better at the Australian Open and God willing, you could make a semifinal or a final this week if you're a Ben Shelton fan you have a runway to make a top 10 push this year because, again, Ben's got nothing to defend in the middle of the season. And with where his ranking is right now, obviously a massive opportunity to get into all of the biggest events, win rounds there, add points to your ranking no matter where it is because you don't have any wins to defend. Now all of a sudden that U.S. Open semifinal run a little less daunting, which is obviously the goal for him come September it's every every event matters for Ben Shelton as he tries to make this push up the rankings because he really does have a weird opportunity to do so given how his results were stacked last season. Anyways, he just overwhelmed Fabian Marazan, his serve elite. It did get broken all match long. Three and four win uh, for the young American to advance to his first quarterfinal of the year and get his first win of the season as well. Up next, a date with Roberto Carbeas Baena. Good follow-up win for Carbeas Baena. Straight sets over Roberto Bautista Gu in round one. Now five and three. He knocks out the very much informed Sebastian Ofner in round two. A rare Carbeas Baena quarterfinal on hard courts. Nevertheless, one uh, that sends the Spaniard back up to number 60 in the live rankings. 
Rangers 11 spots off his career high is the 30-year-old. It's a very winnable matchup for Shelton. Uh, again, an opportunity for him to rack up some points here early in the season as he tries to consolidate his spot. And honestly, he is the significant favorite to make the final. 61.1% according to Tennis Abstract. As again, he plays Carbez Baena in the quarterfinals. And then he would face the winner of Alexander Muller or Taro Daniel in that semifinal round. Muller 1-1 over Francisco Sarundolo yesterday. Tough start for Sarundolo. 0-2 to kick off his year. You're hitting a little, not the panic button, but you're definitely a little concerned. You feel like he is ripe for an upset, depending on what the draw looks like early in Australia. Taro Daniel, 2-4 and four over Max Purcell. I don't know how weird that result is. Purcell, again, very aggressive, certainly on home, uh, home portion. I guess Auckland's not home soil as he's an Aussie. But the point is, I, not a weird result, that one. That's just a good win for Taro Daniel, who I think should be the favorite against Alex Muller. Tennis abstract agrees, 59.7%. Still, Shelton would be the favorite in both of those matchups. He could make another tour final quietly this week in Auckland. And again, that gives him some serious confidence. I think he could use that very much heading into Melbourne because when he is hot, when he is confident, we know what, what Ben Shelton's peak level is capable of. Obviously, the bottom half, fascinating. Arthur Fee, just overwhelming Nuno Borges with his athleticism. 2-0 yesterday. He's going to take on a very much informed Daniel Altmaier. This is probably the single most significant match left to discuss on the day. Maybe the most significant result we had on the day in the sense that Altmaier, 6-5 over Felix Ogier, Aliasim. Aliasim was up a very quick 3-0 set number one in that match. But I'm telling you, Altmaier played top 25 ball yesterday. I thought Felix played well. Altmaier was ridiculous. I've never seen him hit his one-handed backhand as frequently nor successfully with heavy topspin, dare I say, line drive tennis up the line with that ball. The success he was having playing his backhand up the line drive, elite. It was elite stuff off the racket of Daniel Altmaier. Again, I don't think Felix played poorly. He had a break point to go up 6-5 in the second set. Altmaier manages to hold them from there. Breaks Felix 4-7-5. A little bit of a mental lapse, certainly down the home stretch. But Felix had more chances than Altmaier did. Altmaier just continuously came up with these ridiculous on-the-run winners. The short-angle cross-court forehand pass on match point amongst them. That was elite ball from Daniel Altmaier, and the, the German's always been an elite ball striker. It's just the consistency, point in, point out, week in, week out. We saw it from him today. Saw that peak level, 6-5 and five over Felix. Again, I'm not hitting a panic button. I thought Felix played fine. I just thought Altmaier played elite on that day, and I guess that Felix's forehand couldn't do more to disrupt Altmaier's rhythm, his backhand in particular. Yeah, that is a little concerning, but it was a really high level from Altmaier, so I'm not too panicked if I'm Team Felix coming out of that one. Alejandro Tabilo, 5-3 and three over Botic van de Schenschkoop, the qualifier lefty. Always tricky. Uh, he'll take on Cam Nori. Cam Nori, 6-1 in the third. Very fun physical match. Good victory for Nori to knock out the talented young freshman, Luca van Asche. Uh, again, Shelton's the favorite, 37.9% after that. You've got Arthur Fee, 21.1. Nori, 20.9. Then a big drop to Taro Daniel at 82 but you got three, in my opinion, top 25 guys at the least, maybe three top 20ers in level right now in Shelton, Nori, Fee, certainly on hard courts. You feel like you could make that argument pretty convincingly. That's your undercard event on the ATP side. That is a fun event we've got in Auckland. We'll keep you updated on that throughout the course of the week. Last, but certainly not least, let's run you through the highlights from Australian Open qualifying yesterday. And again, there were so many different results, so I promise I'm not going to 
overwhelm y'all with you know listing everything but do want to keep you appraised on where things stand in the draw you look so far advancing to round number three final round of qualifying at this event a couple of players on the women's side Zakharova knocking out Rebecca Peterson in three sets you also in terms of round two results uh, Patanama Kirkov knocking out Kawa Sam, uh, Sarah Balik the young Czech knocking out Arena you have the young Russian Timofeeva the 20 year old knocking out Astra Sharma and then uh, Patricia Hahn, 6-4 in the third over Dalma Golfi. Most interesting round two matchups, in my opinion, Daria Sneger, of course, the Ukrainian who we saw knock out Simona Halp at the U.S. Open two round, uh, years ago. She has Ann Lee, former top 50 player, the young American, trying to work her way back. That is a fascinating round two matchup, in my opinion. Gabriela Knutson versus Sir Bond's a fun one. Startup Seva taking on 12th seeded Harriet Dart. Startup Seva, former standout college players of course that has my opinion uh has my attention uh gibson versus brenda fruvertova you know i'm locked in on that sort of matchup hunter versus neff that should be a fun one as well last but not least the battle of the sisters erica andreva versus the younger cooter matova those are some round two matchups to keep your eyes on again soon uh as soon as qualifying is wrapped up we'll do a full podcast on dare i say the most notable results and uh a full podcast on what you need to know from the event with our dear friend Damian Koost. In terms of the men's side now, all of our round two matchups are set. What are the ones you need to watch most closely? Because I don't want to go through all the big round one matchups because uh, there are just so many to touch on. But how about Giovanni Pesci-Pericard, the big Frenchman, six foot seven, I think he's 20, 19 years old, whatever it may be. He's taking on the big hitting lefty Marc-Andre Hussler. That's a very fun round two matchup. Max Cressy versus Hugo Grenier, maybe two players. Players you might be more aware of. That's a round two matchup. Kovacevic, 7-6 in the third. He advanced. He'll take on Sachko in round two of qualifying. How about Gab Diallo versus Pierre Uzerber? Diallo, the 6'7 Canadian, former Kentucky All-American. It's when, not if. He's a top 100 player. Obviously, Herbert has been there before in his career as well. Hamad Medyarevich cruising one and one in round number one of qualifying. He'll take on the lefty Abdullah Shelby. Both those guys participating in the next gen finals last year. So that's a fun round two matchup. Omar Jessica, former junior U.S. Open champion, taking on rising young American Zach Sfida. That's a fun round two matchup. And then how about my boy Billy Winter, uh, Teddy Winter, excuse me, Ed Winter, going to be a freshman at Pepperdine. He gets a round one win in qualifying. He's going to take on Samit Nagal in round number two. A lot of good, fun qualifying matchups again on the board. Plenty of fun things to keep tennis fans entertained throughout the course of the week as we prepare for the first major. But we'll focus more on qualifying in a single episode later on here this week. On the challenger side of things, quarterfinal set in Nantabury. It'll be Novak versus Vachero. Shout out to the former AM All-American Val Vachero. He won a challenger last week into another quarterfinal here this week into the top 50 for the first time. He's joined by a man who could return to Stanford if he wants. Arthur Ferry. Ferry going to take on Hiroki Murioya. You've got Uchiyama versus Naguchi. Former USC All-American Brandon Holton to back-to-back quarterfinals to start his season at the challenger level. Excuse me. He'll take on Manuel Guinard. Again, that's not the Burry. They're still in the round of 16 in Buenos Aires, but two quarterfinals said Gianluca Major going to take on 17-year-old Joe Fonseca. Fonseca, the junior U.S. Open champion last year. Virginia commit. Will he get there? Not if he keeps racking up quarterfinals at the challenger level like he does for the first time this week. Tristan Boyer, formerly at Stanford, he's going to take on Dimitri Popko 
um, in his quarterfinal matchup. Those are the matchups set in Buenos Aires. And right now in Portugal, quarterfinals are set. It'll be Elias versus Royer, and who ended the end of Max Kaznikowski. Moeller versus Rady. Sosa versus Martin Dom. Good week for the lefty American. Another quarterfinal. I think that's his fourth in his last five events. 7-5 in the third. The 20-year-old big-hitting lefty knocks out uh, Paul Jubb. It's a name to know. And then... Uh, he's taking on Joe Sosa, then top half, top seed. Mauro Canyas going to take on Marius Kopel. That's your challenger action. That's everything on court happening this week. But again, I know many of you listeners are already looking towards the future as we all anticipate the start of the 2024, almost said three, 2024 Australian Open. Of course, we'll have coverage every day across our various podcast platforms. Recaps here on the mini break, as well as on our Crack Rackets YouTube channel. Previews over on the Great Shot podcast feed. So if you haven't already, of course, go subscribe, go like, go rate, go review, share with your friends. Of course, a thank you as always to our super producer, Daniel Westoff, for the f- of an job he does day in, day out, making all of our podcasts possible. A shout out as well to our dear friends at Tennis Point for their support. Remember, it's tennis-point.com. The promo code is CR15 for all of the latest and greatest products in the tennis world. With that said, for our fantastic super producer, Daniel Westoff, our friends at Tennis Point from all of us here at both Crack Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. Say that's the break. Thanks, everyone.